Well, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We are now exclusively a part of the SU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. I'm excited to introduce our co-host for today's show, Sean Johnson. Sean is pastor of Red Rocks Church in Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Sean, to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's just a privilege to host you and to have you on campus and and invest in our in our students. You've spoken chapel today, and, and it's just an honor to have you. Uh, you know, on today's show, I, I want to talk about uh, all things practical ministry. Okay. Um, and, and Sean, you've, you've been pastoring at Red Rocks Church since 2005. Yeah. And uh, over that time, I mean, you have seen uh, unbelievable growth, incredible growth, spiritual health um, spring up within your congregation. But your church ha- had an interesting start. I, I know you planted uh, Red Rocks in an unlikely <laughs> place or location. Can you talk to us about where you first planted the church and, and how were those early days of church yeah, planting? Yeah, yeah. So, so when we got to Denver, um, we were looking for a place like everybody and quickly realized we have no people, which means no offering, which means no money. And so we found <laughs> the what we, con- we, what we considered to be the cheapest room in the entire metro area. It was the back corner of a nearly abandoned theme park. Wow. And and I'm talking about like one of those theme parks where like you look at the roller coaster or the Ferris wheel and you go, mm-mm, like that thing might fall <laughs> over today. And and so the room was so bad, it had been previously used as a haunted house that they said, if you'll clean it out and paint the walls and put in carpet, you can meet here for free for one year. And we were like, we found our church. Wow. And so we started with 12 people in the back of that little theme park. And uh, it's funny because now we tell the stories and everyone thinks it's kind of cool. But when you have like 40 people meeting in the back corner of a theme park, it looks more like a cult than anything <laughs> cool. And so, and then they had a miniature train that would go around the theme park and it happened to go right behind our building. And so I'd be like just preaching my heart out in the middle of an altar call, having a moment and all of a sudden you'd hear... Choo-choo. <laughs> and it would just be a constant reminder to me of, okay, God loves to keep us humble. Sure, the, the reality. And, you know, many leaders have, uh, you know, listening to your story, have, have this preconceived idea of what, you know, success is supposed to look like or how perfect your location. I mean, all the different mm-hmm. aspects of, but but this start is not what most people, you know, uh, have in mind, really. Yep. Uh, and and how, how can leaders uh, have an open mind about... Um, about the future and and about God's plan for for the vision and and for what you really want to see happen. Well, you know, I'll tell you one thing that starting really small and in these humble beginnings of this theme park where we were almost embarrassed. You know, I spent the first probably the first year almost every week I would apologize to the church like I know we're meeting in a weird spot. I'm sorry. Uh, one day we'll get out of here. One day we'll have better. One day we'll have nicer. And it just hit me one day like God was like, you know, at what point are you just grateful for what you have yeah, and actually sure. try and maximize what you actually have? And what I realized that I was doing is I was I was sort of in my mind overestimating what I could do with what I didn't have and really undervaluing what we could do with what God had already given us. And, you know, you could obviously go to multiple places in the Bible where God says, you know, be faithful with what you have, and then let me give you more to steward. And so there was a time, it was about two years in, year and a half in, where we actually went to the church and we said, you know what, 
We're not apologizing for, it was called Heritage Square. We're not apologizing for Heritage Square anymore. This is where God has us and we're going to use it to the best of our abilities. And we started realizing that because we were in a real crappy environment, that our rent was really cheap comparatively to all our friends who were running churches. And so one of our four key words is generosity. And what we realized is, is by saving money on rent and, and doing church really cheap, it allowed us to be really generous. Mm. And the more and more we started sharing stories with the church, like this is not an accident. God has us here on purpose. And because we're here, we now get to be a more generous church than we ever thought possible. And people started to get behind that to the point where when we left Heritage Square on our 10-year anniversary, like people were bawling, crying, didn't wow. want to leave. It had become so ingrained in us, like this is who we are. And in fact, as we began to branch out and buy properties all over the metro area, most pastors are looking for like high-end properties and all stuff. We told our realtors, we want a crappy building with a really big parking lot. That's all <laughs> we need for church. And so it kind of began to define who we sure. were in a way that we never dreamed possible. But we never started experiencing a lot of growth until we really just embraced where we were and what we had and said, okay, God, let's, let's, let's go for it with that. And that's such a good leadership principle, maximizing what you have. Yep. Um, how, how can leaders build up that kind of contentment while still have, having you know, this grand vision for the future? How do you build that contentment? Whew, that's a great question. Um, for many leaders, especially the type A go-getter, I'm always looking ahead. I don't even think you need to really teach that. You sort of are born with that. Sure. And, and I think for me, the problem was the opposite. To a fault, I was always looking to the future. I was always looking to what, what we could be someday, what might happen someday. So much so that I would miss not only the purpose, but the joy of the moment where we're at. Like, this is the day the Lord has made. Sometimes I had to remind myself, I'm supposed to enjoy this part of the process. And the truth is, now we have nine locations, and we're literally on both sides of the ocean. And if you were to ask me, what's the funnest part of our entire journey? It was when we had one location in the back of a theme park. It was about 300 people. We knew everybody in the church. I was at everybody's birthday. That was one of the funnest times. Yeah. But in the moment, I wasn't necessarily enjoying it because I was looking over the fence so much at what, what might be someday. Mm -hmm. So I just think for us, you know, we're just instructed so often to be really good stewards with what we have, and then we let God take care of care what... Of the rest. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Uh, Sean, you've coined this phrase that Red Rocks Church was meant for building stories yeah. and, and not buildings. Talk to us about your philosophy behind this. And of, of course, we all know that the mission of the church is to build the body, uh, you know, the people of, of Christ first. But, but tell, talk to us about how this idea of building stories came, came to be. So we were renting this. We, we slowly started to take over this old theme park. As we started growing, we kept going, we'll need, can we rent that building? Can we rent that building? Can we rent? So pretty soon, we rented about two-thirds of the theme park. And uh, that campus alone had maybe four or 5,000 people going to it. And then we were renting a facility in Littleton that was an old dinner theater. And... Uh, both of the landlords came to us in the same week and the, the, the theme park said, hey, we're selling the theme park and it's going to be demolished. And the owner of this dinner theater in, in this other part of the, town, of, of the city came to us and said, hey, we're going to go a different route. And we were like, wow, we are going to be an 8,000 person homeless church 
in the next few months. And so we decided to do what I sort of dreaded doing, which was a, quote, building campaign. And so we just went to the church, and that was kind of our motto. Like, you guys know us. We're not into building buildings. We're into building stories. But if it takes us acquiring some full-time buildings to have the safety and security to keep building stories, we'll do that. Um, but we've never cared about how nice the building is. If you were to come to any of our facilities, you'd be like, huh. You'd be a little mm -hmm. underwhelmed at the structure itself because that's just not what's important to us. What's important to us is the stories of every single person and family who comes through there. Yeah. And, and we, can, we can pastor and love and point people to Jesus in the best of facilities or in the worst of facilities. So the facility itself has just never been an issue for us. Wow. Uh, how, how, can, um, how can leaders uh, you know, avoid going after the shiny things is how I would say it in their leadership? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think it is a constant asking the question. I was speaking with a counselor this past summer and I was telling him about some things that I was starting to pursue that were quote shiny. And generally for me, that means I spend too much time on social media. I see what other people who call themselves senior pastors do, and I think, well, if that's what they do and they're successful, then that's probably what I should do to be successful. Mm. And what I found is, is chasing after some things that other people were doing in the comparison game was actually causing me to have a lot of anxiety. And this counselor asked me a real deep question. He said, you need to oftentimes ask yourself, what am I absolutely called to? And let's just do that. Because chasing the shiny things or the things that maybe are someone else is absolutely called to do will just bring distraction and stress and worry and anxiety to your life. And so I, I looked at it and I, I had been lined up to do a bunch of conferences and stuff. And, and I was like, but that's not what I'm absolutely called to. That's what some of my friends are absolutely called to do. Mm. I'm absolutely called to Pastor Red Rocks Church. And so I'm going to stop chasing some of these shiny things to me, which were outside speaking engagements, and I'm going to fall back in love with pastoring the local church that I've been called to pastor. And I found that my, my joy level started going through the roof. Stress started coming off my life because I wasn't trying to chase the shiny things because my friends do, but do what I'm absolutely called to do. And there's such peace in that lane. Wow, that's powerful. How, how can leaders get that kind of laser focus on their calling? I think, um, you know, you obviously, I think for me, it comes with spending time with God. Um, I think you look at, you're, we always, we're always instructed to seek wise counsel. And so for me, I, I always want to have a few people in my life. And, you know, Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. So I always want to have a few people in my life where I look at their life and I go, I wish I had a pursuit after God like that. Uh, sure. That to me is a wise person. I want their counsel. And I'll ask them to identify some strengths and some gifts in my life. And if there's some things that I think I'm good at, but the people I respect in an honest moment who have nothing to gain or lose by answering that question don't agree, yeah. then I probably have to question that. Like, is that something I just wish I was good at? Or is that something I'm actually called to do? Yeah. No, that's that's rich. You know, here at uh, Southeastern, we we when we talk about growth, uh, you know, we have a model for growth that we use to, you know, to empower the local church. We want to come alongside the local church. That's that's uh, a strong value uh, and and a heart pulse. Uh, we want you know faith organizations to become extensions of 
of what we're doing with this generation here on this campus that God is raising up to serve the church, to serve Christ. And, and um, at, at these extension campuses, uh, you know, such as you have, uh, uh, students are able to focus a lot on what I think is a, a powerful way of learning, and that's experiential yeah. learning. <clears throat> Uh, while they also get to to you know work on their degree you know and and it's and has that re- regional accreditation but I know your church is a multi-site uh, congregation you mentioned you have nine nine camp, locations nine mm-hmm. locations so uh, talk to me about how do you build and maintain your culture across these different locations and different sites because mm-hmm. I I would think uh, just as as with our campuses uh, across the nation they're going to be unique and they're going to mm-hmm. be different and you want to cap but yet you want to capture the foundational culture yes. so how do you do that yes so my hope is that you could go into any four of our campuses in Denver you could go to Austin Texas we have one in Brussels Belgium and when you walk in you feel this is Red Rocks Church, mm. but it's obviously, you know, our Brussels campus doesn't look anything like our Lakewood campus, which I know you spent some time in yeah, Lakewood yeah. yourself, but yet you walk in one and you walk in the other and you go, that was the same thing. It was the same experience. And so we have to figure out what our values are and really hone in on them. And, and, and for us, it's authenticity, humility, unity, and generosity. Those four things can be really important no matter which side of the ocean you're on and no matter what your building looks like. So, so some of the physical environments change, but hopefully what we do doesn't. Um, our, we have a thing that we, say, we tell our church all the time. We exist to make heaven more crowded, and we're going to do that by being a place that welcomes home prodigals. And so no matter what campus you go to, you're going to be met by people running out to the, quote, driveway to meet you and welcome you in. And so there's certain environmental things that we can control no matter what state, city, or building we're in. So we're going to hone in on those. So we, we do want to keep a, a pulse that's the same, but then we'll allow each campus to have its own flavor, yeah. right? Yeah. How, how, does a, um, how does a church know that they should go multi-site? I mean, what are the, mm. what would you say would be key metrics that let you know that that should be part of the vision? You know, there are different ways of seeing that. Um, we actually have partnered with, not partnered with, but we've really been mentored by Pastor Craig and Life Church from the beginning of going multi-site. And so we have, probably because we so look up to and love him, we've sort of seen this the way they do. But for us, we never chose to go multi-site. Some people would see multi-site as a growth opportunity. For us, we only went multi-site when we were completely out of room where we were. Um, For us, it was back to that. We learned it the hard way with that amusement park. We are going to maximize the space we're in before we ask God for another one. But once we maximize the space we're in, we're going to start praying for miracles that he'll give us another one. And so we only went multi-site when we literally could not fit in a building anymore. A different strategy is we're going to go multi-site in hopes of growth. And so I, I think there's pros and cons to both, but we go, we've only went multi-site as a need, not a want. want. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and just a little follow-up to that, what, what are some key things that, that probably a, a, a lead pastor you know, who's preparing to, to move towards multi-site mm-hmm. need to think about both personally and maybe for the team? Well, so, so one is there, there's, there's a couple different ways to do it, but a lot of places are a main campus with some multiple multi-site locations or there's multiple locations 
and nobody knows what the main campus is. Mm. And so a lot of places just because they've spent so many years building one big box, then they want to go multi-site and you can't afford another big box that big. So you go get something really little. There are pros and cons to that, but the, the cons to that are, no matter how much you tell me this little one is just as important, I know in the back of my mind, it's not the same experience as if I was at the big box. Mm. And so for us, we started with multi-site in mind. So we've never built a building that we knew we couldn't duplicate. Mm. So now for us, we record at actually our smallest location in Denver on Saturday nights. And then I'll go jump around from campus to campus on Sunday. And so every single one of our campuses, if you'd ask them, they all think they're the main site. Mm. And so what we've done that on purpose because we don't want you to feel like you're you're the B team anywhere you're at. So for us, we don't have a cool site and then some makeshift sites. Sure. All of ours in Denver are the same size approximately. Every one of them they think they're the main one. Every one of them they think they're the best one. And so for us, that's that's been the way we did it, but that's because we went in knowing we're going to be multi-site. Yeah. You know, uh, for many organizations, innovation is definitely key to growth and and success. And going multi-site is definitely an innovative mm-hmm. process, no doubt about it. Uh, 2020 has thrown all of us a mm-hmm. curveball and forced so many of us to be absolutely innovative uh, because, because of COVID. I mean, businesses, universities, churches have all had to shift, uh, you know, the way they, they normally approach their mission. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I know here at SEU, we've, you know, had to modify the way that we deliver our education, although because of our, our extension, um, you know, uh, vision, we were set in many ways mm-hmm. to be able to provide that. But talk to me about your approach to this pandemic and, and what have you done you know, as a lead pastor to lead your congregation through these unprecedented, you know, times? And what advice would you give other pastors who are struggling right now mm-hmm. in the midst of this pandemic to find what works best? Yeah, you know, there's probably two main shifts. Now, we, like you, were really set up for this because we had an online platform that we were using at all of our spots already. But Two things happened right up top. Um, Obviously, like everybody, we started to panic just a little and went, wow, we've got a lot of buildings that are going to sit empty. We have a lot of staff members that depend on paychecks. How is this going to work? Our offerings right up top of COVID just started to tank, and we were like, wow, okay, we got to rethink this. And what we realized is is when, when we're in person, people are catching stories of what is happening. People are seeing hands raised. They're seeing God change lives. They're seeing what their dollar is investing into. Well, when you're sitting at home, you don't see that. Mm. And so we, uh, we had to re-up on the importance of sharing vision nonstop, but also showing that the vision is happening. happening. Sure. I think, I think um, churches and, and man, I, we do this, we just have done a very poor job historically, our church, at sharing stories of what God is doing. So in COVID, we, what we realized is if we're not on purpose sharing stories of life change almost weekly, you're at home and so separated, you forget that your giving is actually still changing lives because you don't see it. So the importance of sharing stories had to take a whole new, had to go to a whole new level for us. And then simplicity. You know, we had so many platforms to give, give in the bucket, give through a check, give through cash, give online, give on the app, give on the, we changed all of our giving and funneled it into one text message. So now at the end of every service, if you get saved and need resources, if you need prayer, or if you'd like to give, 
It's one number that you text to Red Rocks, and that gets you on the page of everything that's going on in the church. And so simplicity became key, and keeping stories of the vision actually happening in front of people became key. Yeah. I want to uh, I want to transition a little bit here. I, I I want to talk about your book for a moment, Transit. Yeah. And uh, this is a book dedicated to uh, taking people closer uh, to God. In Transit, you share your personal um, journey in your relationship with God. You mm-hmm. uncover um, disciplines that were necessary uh, uh, on your journey, and you invite each of us to ignite really that authentic mm-hmm. uh, relationship with God. Tell us about your personal journey with with Jesus and what were some of the disciplines that you implemented in your life? Do you ha- and, and do you have any advice for people who are walking maybe through similar situations? Yeah. Uh, so where would you like me to start? Anywhere you want to start. I mean, disciplines. <laughs> let's, let's just talk about discipline and how important that is. Um, well, for me, I did not grow up in church. Um, my mom had me in high school. She was a heroin addict. Uh, my f- real father left when he found out she was pregnant, so he, he never met me. Um, she put me on a stranger's porch in a car seat and went and jumped off of a bridge into oncoming traffic to commit suicide. Like, crazy beginning. And so the truth is I kind of grew up my whole life in a way blaming God. Like, kind of, if there is a God, I don't want anything to do with him because yeah. I've had a really bad life. And so... And then my mom didn't die, by the way. She, she crushed her legs but lived and, and then stayed a heroin addict for quite a while. And, and so I was raised in a pretty rough environment. And so I kind of fell into some of those same things in my young 20s. Um, and it was actually uh, uh, one day I had sat down to take my own life and, and, I, and I called a friend. And he invited me to a church. And so at 24 years old, I went to church for the first time as an adult and gave my life to God with like drugs in my pocket. So like I had no concept of what spiritual disciplines were. I didn't know if there, I know there's a Bible. I wouldn't have a clue where to start or what's the point. I knew I should talk to God, but I kind of felt unworthy and didn't even know where to start and what to talk about. And 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 so I think in transit, you know, basically we I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't trying to write a book. I was trying to just come up with a resource to give people at our church who were giving their lives to God who were feeling that same way. I know now I need God, but I don't have a clue where to start. And I would say, you know, I get I do in the book give some very practical ways like you know start praying here's some things you could talk about if you want to get in the word here's some ways you could maybe see starting or you know if you want to change some relationships here's kind of the importance of that for me they were all important um, but I think the I think the thing that is most important to to understand is that it's really messy and no book or sermon is going to make it all make perfect sense for you if you just get in there and start talking to God, if you just open up the Word and start letting Him talk to you. Um, you will navigate your way through it, and it will be really messy, and you'll turn around in a while and look back and go, wow, look what my li- how my life has changed because I just put in some discipline and just spent time with God, even though I felt like I didn't know what I was doing when I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about um, a, a discipline that uh, that has been important in my life, um, and that's the discipline of relationships. Yeah. Um, how how important ha- has relationships been in your life? Key relationships that mm-hmm. literally 
change your life, transform mm-hmm. your life? And how do you build that discipline in your life to, to stay connected and to have those significant relationships? Yeah. You know, so, so for me, my friend invited me to church. I got saved at a church in Illinois. I lived in Hollywood, California at the time. I went back to Hollywood and everyone I knew was sort of in a drug culture. And um, I tried for three weeks to be really good. I didn't go out. I'd go sit at coffee shops and read my Bible. And even though I didn't have a clue what I was reading or where to start. um, And about three weeks later, my roommate was like, look, man, just come out with us. Like, just come out with us one night. You know, it's just one night. And I went out and I was like, okay, but I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do any of the old stuff I used to do. And then it was, I'll just have one. I'll just... Well, almost OD'd that night. I ended up drinking, doing a lot of drugs. Everything I said I'd never do again, I did. And my pastor's wife called me the next morning and she said, you know, how's your new salvation? And I was like, Mm. oh, it's a bad time for this call. And she said, look, the Bible says that you should run, flee from evil. Mm -hmm. Don't stand up next to it. You need to get some people in your life that are going the same way you are. And so I literally left my career in LA and moved to Illinois which seemed crazy, but I just knew if I don't get around some people pursuing God, I'm going to end up walking away from this whole thing and I'm going to regret it. I just knew it. Mm. And so, I mean, you just, for me, it was a absolute game changer. And how do you do it? You just make tough decisions. Um, I didn't cut those people completely out of my life. In fact, my roommate in Hollywood still was the best man in my wedding years later, mm. but he just wasn't going to have an influence on sure. my day-to-day activities anymore, right? His yeah. influence in my life had to change. And so I would say find a local church, volunteer like crazy, get plugged in, get in a small group, like do everything you can to put yourself in environments with other believers um, because there will be a day... And they will pick you up in a way that you might not even see coming. coming, And the beauty is that there'll be a day that you're going to turn around and pick somebody up in a way that you didn't even think you could. And so I always tell our church, like, we were created to pursue the plans of God with the people of God. And somehow we think it's pretty heroic to try and do things on our own. And it's just not. We weren't created. I I personally, and I talked to the students today about anxiety and depression and stuff I've dealt with for a long time. None of that stuff is a solo battle. We're supposed to fight with other believers for each other. It's how we were created. So for me, that's the ultimate. It's so important. You know, I think one of the the most significant relationships leaders have is with their families. Um, Now, I know that you're very involved with your family. if you're not at church, you're likely to be at a sporting event with your wife and your your three active sons. Yep. But being a pastor of a church is a is a demanding task that normally um, never has a set schedule. I mean, during my time in 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 ministry, I, I remember the late night calls, the unexpected hospital visits. Yep. You know, the the days where I brought my work home with me. Talk to me about how you manage um, boundaries in your ministry. Yeah. You know, I've I've always heard that I'm supposed to have those, yeah. and I've always wondered if I'm doing it right. Sure. And I've never, as a profession, done anything quite like being a senior pastor, because I'm sure that some people do it, and they have this amazing capacity to turn it off when they go home. 
I have still not figured out how to do that. And so what I've tried to do the whole time is let my family feel like they are on the journey with me, that I'm not over here being Superman, saving the world, and they're over here getting my leftovers. I've always tried to make it, and my son's here so you can ask him how we're doing. I've always tried to make it, this is what we do as a family. And if I go somewhere, I sit down with the kids and I talk about what we're doing and try and help them understand the importance of it or the, or the, the victory of it. But one of the things me and my friends said at the beginning, because some of them are pastor's kids, is they said, we don't want our kids growing up being some of those kids that are like, man, I hate the fact that my dad was a pastor. I lost my dad to the church. Mm-hmm. And so we said our goal from the beginning was, how do we make our kids feel like they're the luckiest kids in the world because their dads are pastors. So my kids' whole story with the church, even when we were poor, is I always try to find things to go do with them. And then we'll be on trips and, and 10 times on the trip, they won't know why I'm saying it, but I'll say something 10 times on the trip that goes, if I didn't work at the church, we wouldn't even be able to do this. Mm. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. We're so lucky. And we, so I've always tried to figure out What's something that I could give my son access to because of what I do? And it's hit and miss, and I don't think I'm doing it perfect by any means. Um, I do, there is a deep conviction in my life, though, that there there are times when the church wins, but there are more times when my family wins when it comes to which one do I do. And now that we've become multi-site, like I'll film on a Saturday, uh, and or now, right now, because of COVID, we're filming on Thursdays and Fridays. I'm going to the church services on the weekends unless my boys have a big game. Okay, yeah. And then I'm at the game, and I wish the church yeah. well because yeah. we've already filmed, and they don't absolutely need me. So um, I try to make sure my family wins way more than the church. But, man, that is a, that is a, a fine line to dance, and yeah. I'm not sure that I've done it perfect, but I've always, I've always wanted to value my boys and my wife more than I do my job, for sure. Yeah. Wow, this is a great conversation. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. If you're a driven professional striving to expand your leadership and pack change at any level of your organization, Southeastern University's online master's degree in leadership is definitely for you. This program provides you the opportunity to learn in the context of entrepreneurship, nonprofit leadership, research, or organizational leadership. You can apply today at seu.edu slash apply. That's seu.edu slash apply. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Sean, I have to ask you, you're uh, you're a big sports fan, so are you a big fan of the Denver Nuggets? I am, yes. Well, you know, the Denver Nuggets, that's a story. That was a catalyst. Believe it or not, the Denver Nuggets were a catalyst in my first career. I uh, spent 10 years in television sports, and uh, when I was in junior high, my family uh, became friends with... um, uh, Al Albert, who was the voice of the Denver Nuggets, okay. Marv Albert's brother. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I had the privilege one time, he invited me to come down and sit with him during a, a, a Denver Nuggets uh, basketball game. It was at the old McNichols uh, yep. Sports Arena. Arena, And I just, th- from that moment, I thought, man, I, I would love to do something like this. And little did I know that uh, God would open up a door and, and I'd have my uh, first career in television sports. And it was just, but, but the Denver Nuggets. 
Nuggets. That will, you know, I'm always going to be a big Denver Nugget fan. Too bad they lost this year to uh, what is it, the LA Clippers, and was it Game Seven or uh, yep. went yep. seven games? But uh, but I had to ask if you were a big Denver Nuggets fan. Big big fan, and you know it hasn't been easy in the 15 years we've been in Denver. Sure, uh, sure. But so I've. I, I, I grew up being a Lakers fan, which I actually okay. heard you're a Clippers fan. Yes, yeah. Which I, I was hoping we could do some prayer and maybe get you healed of that before <laughs> sure. this talk is over. <laughs> no, I'm, and, and so, uh, but I have fallen in love with the Denver teams. It's, yeah. it's my home, and yeah. and uh, it's not easy these days. It sure. takes, especially the Broncos. Yeah, yeah. It takes character to be a Broncos fan these days. But you, you did get to see a Super Bowl win, right? Oh, that was yeah, amazing. That had to be yeah. a... A great experience. Well, as we we close out our conversation um, and and we move into what I call our quick fire round, I I want us to cover a few practical um, applications that our listeners can take away from this conversation today. And I'll I'll start off one point would be, again, um, disciplines and and how important setting disciplines are. And, And I go back uh, to having a key mentor in my life who who taught me about disciplines and 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 one of the strongest disciplines was um, to build in, into to your life was the discipline of self awareness hmm. that you build some kind of system that allows you to look at yourself and you know what what's going on in your life who are the people that's been coming into your life? What are the conversations uh, about? Uh, what are your passions right now? What What are your gifts? And, and by the way, I've always believed God can change, you know, especially spiritual gifts uh, in your life for the way he wants to use you in a moment yeah. or in a context. Yeah. And, and are you building? And so from that point, here, something I've always done as a practical step, um, every year I and I get this from the academic world, but I write a, a personal self-awareness paper hmm. that allows me just to reflect and write. What am I What am I sensing with my passions and my gifts and, and my experiences, good, bad, spiritual? And out of that, when I something about writing it down allows me to see a big picture of, oh yeah, this is what God's doing now. This is what I need to step into, or hmm. maybe this is what I need not to be involved in. And it's just a discipline that I've found in my life that um, ha- has has been so key. So what, what, what discipline is important for you and what's a practical step in how to develop that in, in, in your life? For me, um, it is spending some time with God daily. Um, and like I said, when I first got saved, it felt so messy. I would talk and be like, this is so stupid. If you're actually listening, I'm sorry. And, you know, um, worship has mm. been a huge part of that for me lately. It used to always be because just I always heard, pray and read the Bible. And so I would get up in the morning and try to do both. Um, and I would say worship has entered that picture more so than ever before. And not just as a... Um, happy-go-lucky emotional thing, but almost a warring for my own freedom in many ways. And and so for me, uh, the the most important discipline for me with with God is just spending some time. And it doesn't have to be real structured for me. It's just I'm going to spend some time talking to Him. I'm going to get in the Word and say, would you talk to me? And and for that, when I do that, one of the things I like to tell people is, is read the Bible until you get one thought. Uh, whether that's a verse or a chapter. Because for me, I'm, I'm 
I don't know if I'm ADD or if I'm just always thinking about something else, but I can read a chapter of the Bible and not have a clue what I just read. So I'll tell people, get something and write something, write one thought. Because when I read with knowing, I can't stop till I get a thought. Yeah. I'm really honed in. And then for me, it's just read it, write it, do it. So God, speak to me. I'm going to write down one thought and I'm going to pray, God, would you help me go do this one thing I think you said to me today? That's good. One other discipline that I, I want to hear from you on and, and we can use as a practical application that I think is important in our lives, you know, spiritual health is absolutely key, but physical health mm -hmm. is is key too. And, and, you know, for me personally, I have type 2 diabetes and thankfully I haven't had to, to be one who has to take insulin every day. I can control it by diet and health, but because I can control it by diet and health, I have to make sure that discipline is. Hmm. So I've, I've looked to a couple things that I enjoy doing um, that, you know, I love cycling. So I do that and, and lifting weights. So I, I make sure that's built into my time management. Mm -hmm. What do you do in terms of physical health to keep you, you know, in shape and, and, you know, alert because it does, yeah. it creates alertness yep. in, in who you are and what yep. you're accomplishing. I, I, about two to 3 PM every day I go to the gym. That's about the time my creative brain is done. <laughs> I can get Busy work done, but I'm not going to create anything new, and it's not going to be very – I'm usually bored of the day at about 2 or 3. So about 2, 3 p.m. every day, I like to go to the work workout. I like to lift weights. Um, I generally hate cardio. Sure. And so uh, pre-COVID, uh, me and some guys from the church were doing an MMA workout, and we'll go once or twice a week. And there's a team that belongs to the church, so the coach will do a workout with us. And it's great because, you know, you go burn about a thousand sure, calories, absolutely. but you get to hit something in the process. Yeah. And so it makes cardio fun. <laughs> exactly. I've never enjoyed, like, I have so many friends, especially in Colorado, who just love to take a jog. And I'm just like, no, yeah, I just don't. But I like burning calories, doing something fun like yeah. that. So I love lifting weights, um, and I just put head, headphones in and pull my hat real yep. low and go into my own little world for an hour every day, and it's good for my soul. Yeah. It really is. It is good. Well, Sean, I want to thank you for, for joining me today on the Framework Leadership Podcast. I'm thankful for... Uh, your insight that has come through your life experiences in, in pretty significant ways. And for all of our listeners who are serving in ministry, I, I hope this conversation was invigorating to you. And, and I want you to stay connected, especially uh, get connected with Pastor Sean. You can follow him on social media, Sean uh, Johnson. Uh, what, what, how can they reach out to you or, or follow you? What's I think some? it's uh, Sean Johnson RRC is RRC. my Instagram okay. all right. name. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know for sure if that was it. I wanted to make sure. Yep, yep. Uh, or you can check out Red Rocks Church website at redrocks.com. Hey, that's all for today's episode. We'll see you next time on Framework Leadership. <laughs>